Welcome to Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing and philosophy. Welcome back to Dungeons and Dialectics with Joe and Matt. I'm your host, Joe. And this is your co-host, Matt. So I told Joe to uh, introduce us like he was making love to a beautiful and that was what he did, so I don't know what to do with him, but we're going, we're going. Well, to be fair, you didn't actually specify beautiful woman. You just said making love to someone. A woman. That's true. Yeah, you did well, say you woman. Me. All beautiful. You know, that's a really good point. So, welcome back. Dungeons and Dialectics. This is our second episode, and the audio is bearable this time. We appreciate everyone who who sat through the last episode and we're really looking forward to you all sitting through another episode. We got a lot of good feedback from our fan. We, we did. We actually received, we received a lot of comments from the fandom, um, slowly growing. <laughs> I don't know. what's funny, Matt. Um, I don't know. My partner, my partner listened to it and they said that you and I are really funny and yeah. we have a lot of good chemistry. And yeah. they really enjoyed the part where we were talking and didn't like any of the content that was related to Dungeons and Dragons or philosophy. You know, it's interesting you say that because I got uh, feedback from my partner, Max, and he told me that the, the content that he liked was the boring content about Dungeons and Dragons. Well, that makes sense. Max is kind of a boring guy. I have a story about Max I'm going to tell momentarily, but I think what this tells me is about uh, our podcast. I think we need to do both. We need to be boring and funny. Boring and funny. That sounds like a recipe to, for success to me. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> I'll just edit out the coughs in post. <clears throat> no, leave the... Leave them, it makes it seem edgy. It's like raw, you know? That's true, that's true. That's why people watched Breaking Bad. That's true. They did cough a lot in that show. Yeah. As soon as they stopped coughing in Game of Thrones, that's when the show went to shit. You know, that's true. You can actually track the number of coughs per episode, and as the numbers start to decline, it's pretty well correlated with the declining quality of the writing of the show. Nobody needs to look that up. It's just true. It is true. I mean, we are we are the source of information. We are the source of truth. It's a priori certain to use a philosophical term. Do you want to tell us what a priori means? A priori means uh, different things depending on whom you're talking to. Generally, it's used to indicate something about knowledge that's prior to all experience, the sort of knowledge you could have independent or that's logically independent of experience, you might say, even if experience is a sort of... Um, precondition like you have to have experiences to be able to come to cognize that two plus two is four but some people some people think that the fact that two plus two is four is independent of all experience and it's necessarily true you know and all these things and i myself um don't care but some people care about this i see well that's really interesting so no, you're not, saying it has nothing to do with the topic. It doesn't well, have anything to do with the topic. <laughs> I think that I think that gaining experience 
is really relevant to role playing RPG or role playing games. Yeah. In it fact, is. one of the innovations that Dungeons and Dragons is often credited for and is like semi true is the experience mechanic that as your character gets more experience fighting and solving puzzles and exploring dungeons, they also get better at it in concrete mechanical ways. Are you telling me that this week's episode is going to be about about the history of Dungeons and Dragons, the game? Matt, it's almost like you're reading my mind with a detect thought spell. I'm actually reading the text you sent me about what today's episode's about because I didn't do any prep work at all. You know, that's that's one of the things that our listeners have come to expect. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Flying and by the seat of my pants. I think that they appreciate that. Yeah. It's realistic. Yeah. This is this is raw. This is real. This isn't polished or pristine. This is how real people live their lives. If you say so, man. The way we're going to go about this, for the fans at home and also for uh, you, Matt, because mm -hmm. as we mentioned, you're you're heading in blind. You have not read a single thing that I have told no, you. It's, it's a lie. I read the one article about the past. I know all about it now. All right. Well, to be fair, you confessed to me that you only read part one of the two-part article. But you know what? You linked me to part one, and you said read this, so I read it. Yeah. Well, there was another part, too, and it was only a page. Yeah, but you didn't say read part two, motherfucker. You know, that's true. I did not. Why don't you tell us about the thing today? Yeah, so as Matt mentioned, this is an episode about the history of the game. Where did this come from? What is this game? We're going to get a better understanding of sort of the thing that we are talking about. And then Matt's going to chime in with something Witty helpful. Witty Bonmots. Yeah, whatever a bon mot is. The history of Dungeons & Dragons. Dungeons & Dragons comes from a tradition of wargaming originally. In fact, the first box that this game came in was labeled as wargaming for fantasy miniatures. Because people didn't have a name like role-playing game Absolutely. to describe what it was that people were doing. But the story starts even earlier than that, Matt, because I spent the last week reading Playing at the World, huge academic history of the game, and it starts with cave people playing with bones. What the hell with bone? Wait, yeah, is that instead like a sex of dice. Thing? What do you mean? You know, for a lot of people it is, but just playing. They were working the bone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is an R rated podcast it now. Is. Uh, bordering on XXX, an erotic philosophy and Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Why not? Coming at you. Literally. Okay, so they were playing with bones out there in the fucking... In the caves. In mud or whatever caveman. Yeah. Well, you roll bones, and depending on how they fall, you get, like, points or whatever. Um, so that's the first... Oh, shit, really? That's where Dungeons and Dragons comes from, cave people. Oh, I actually have, an, I have a philosophy comment about this. I had no idea I would. I would because love you to hear your philosophy about like ten thousand year old bones. Um, well, I didn't so, think it was so relevant. In ancient China, okay, they had a book, an oracular book called the I Ching. I've read a lot of Chinese philosophy, however, and the I Ching is sort of like an um, oracular prophetic book with all of these hexagrams and lines and 
like you use you use all of you you like roll some bones brother you know what i'm saying and then you can tell your fortune with this book by by rolling by rolling like by dragon bones or whatever or they were called dragon bones i don't know what kind of bones they actually were but they called them dragon bones and that's all i had to say so i cut you off for this irrelevant point about chinese philosophy why don't you continue wait what's the point about chinese philosophy just that confucius really liked this book about bones yeah 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 <laughs> he loved this book about bones and so i guess the point i'm trying to make is from a certain point of view um confucius was a gamer great um i hope that that story i told is really interesting max will love that shit I think he's going to eat it up. I, I'm wondering if that falls into the boring or funny camp. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, so so there they were. Yeah, playing with bones. In the, with desert. In the like desert. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Exactly. A lot like that. But you rolled bones and then certain things come up and either it's divination, um, which is more of like a magical theological thing, or you're mm -hmm. just doing it for chits and giggles, which is more of a gaming thing. And isn't it interesting how often the two intersect? But I digress. Well, I have a point about that too, but I'm not going to cut you off, so you keep going. You Matt, keep going. you just cut me off to not, <laughs> to not even share the point. Well, I'll just say quickly. You're blue-balling the audience, man, really hard. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, okay, you're right. I'll just tell them quickly. I was in a museum in Paris, right? There I was, brother, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> And uh, I was looking at all this shit because they have all this shit there because they killed all these people everywhere and took their shit. And they had this board game and it was like uh, heaven or hell, the board game. And uh, you would like roll dice and you would find out if you went to heaven or hell or something. So this was the first board game. That's the first board game? I don't know, maybe. But the first war game was Chacharanga. And it originated in India, or like the Indus Valley region. Um, yeah. And it's the, the ancestor of chess. And it's kind of, it's sort of weird because you get all these kind of like chess-like games, like Chacharanga, which eventually evolves into chess um, mm -hmm. when it reaches uh, Europe and gets the sort of classic bishop, rook, knight, etc. labels on it. And eventually somebody, somebody decides, what if we put this war game of like simulated combat and strategy and we put it in a concrete context? That was sort of like the origin of wargaming as we sort of understand it today. And they call that setting, that context that you put the game in with the map and the historical context, they call that a campaign setting because it is the setting for your war campaign mm. which is of course where we now get the words campaign setting in reference to role-playing let's um, say because we don't know who it is let's say it was the, the gamer confucius like tentatively it probably was confucius i hear he um he was an avid gamer <clears throat> and so you get this tradition of war gaming which comes out of this sort of chacharanga to chess to war gaming and Eventually, sort of in the um, like 1950s or something, people decide to sort of merge these like dice games, which rely on chance, with war games that historically have relied on um, on strategy. And so, 
Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, who were the two like originators of Dungeons and Dragons. The biggest are, gamers ever. They are such big gamers. Gary Gygax, he's almost kind of like the Hamilton of oh my God. wargaming in that in only one very specific way, which is that he wrote a fuck ton. Yeah. Matt, he was published in every single gaming or wargaming like fan magazine that was circulated at that time. Everyone had content from Gary Gygax, and he would always hit up his friends because it's a very small community that's sort of geographically spread out. So everybody knows each other. They show up at conventions together. They write letters back and forth. And so he collaborates with them on different war games. And so one really popular one is this huge Napoleon um, era simulation that goes on for years. And you get this other game where everybody plays like an ace pilot that is taking to the skies and shooting down people. And eventually with the sort of advent of both J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings that become popular in the 70s, um, you get more, or the 60s, 70s, I should say, you get more pulp fantasy. And all these guys who are war gamers are like huge nerds, obviously. Um, Yeah, wait, I have a a point about that. So I was reading the article you sent me, and my big takeaway was that was just how big of like nerds these guys were. They're so um, nerdy. One of the things in the article was emphasizing that they had names for their little like clans. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So uh, what was it? It was like the Crusaders and and something or Castles other. and Crusades. Yeah. Castles and Crusades. Yeah. I mean, I personally um, thought that was really stupid, but you know, good on them. Yeah. Well, the one of the really popular ones at the time was called Spectre because um, oh like God. Dr. No had just come out yeah. um, in it's like how in high school my improv group was was called Improvatar because Avatar had just come out like the air, last airbender no the good one the last airbender is the best Avatar no it's not the blue one The uh... get the fuck out of here Matt what are you talking about <laughs> James Cameron's Avatar, there. It is. Yeah, the movie that everybody watched, and they built a thing at Disney World, and now nobody talks about or thinks about. Hey, let me just say, I got Jake Sully on the brain, brother. I don't even know who that is. I think they should have cast him as Kang because he's blue. Who are you and talking about? The guy that they got about? to play Kang is not blue. Jake Sully. Is he like the military guy in Yeah, that yeah, movie? he's the military guy, but he's also paralyzed. It's really got a lot of depth oh, going okay. on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He learned to connect with Awa. Is that the blue lady? No, that's Neytiri. Who's Awa? Awa's their goddess, you idiot. You should know that. You're a you're a theology person. Yeah, but this movie is <laughs> is meaningless. This movie, this, this movie, movie's changing lives. This movie is Pocahontas without the songs. Okay, so Gary Gygax was like making all these games, right? He's a big time gamer out there. Well, what he likes to do is he really likes to collaborate. So he'll like see that somebody's working on a game because all of these guys, and there's not that many of them, and they are like almost all guys. Yeah. Are um. There's not that many of them, but because they're so invested in the hobby. 
a lot of them are also game designers and they're making their own sort of tweaks on different games and they're developing their own. And so Gary Gygax will see that, oh, this guy's working on some game. Let's work together on that and they'll like actually produce a game. And when he's sort of very active is when pulp fantasy becomes really popular so Tolkien brings fantasy into the mainstream. Um, but then all these other authors who have been writing these kind of like little books about like Conan the Barbarian or the Three Hearts, Three Lions series from Paul Anderson, I think. Um, and then Jack Vance's Dying Earth series suddenly become popular because everyone's like, oh, whoa, fantasy. What a cool genre of book. Let's read some more. So they read all these pulp fantasy. And Gary Gygax is like, whoa, this is like so fucking cool. I'm going to make a game about this. So he makes Chainmail, which is this war game set in. <coughs> sorry. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I've, um, I've been cleaning mouse shit out of a, um, out of a closet all day. So Doesn't I, that give you diseases when you do that shit? I think it's called norovirus. Um, I wore a mask, but like, disease. I'm still kind of like, uh, my lungs are kind of dusty. Yeah. Well, that's not dust, my friend. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, well, we can, you can hope, but it doesn't. Yeah. So hopefully the, the listeners are fascinated with my tales of woe. Yeah. We should, we should stop talking about, about this and talk about your shitty job. It's a, um, it's a great job. It's actually probably the most organized workplace I've ever had. I'm not making that much money. In fact, if any of the listeners wanted to send us some money, that's, or maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. I have Venmo. Yeah. Yeah. Matt has Venmo. He's in charge. He's the treasurer. We We did. We talked about it last episode and I don't think anyone is going to listen to last episode. Yeah. It's pretty bad audio, but I had some good one-liners. So maybe you should listen just for me. I mean, there's some. It's a good mix of one-liners and funny stories. So I think that it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a perfect balance. And then there's some boring stuff in there too. That's the good shit. That's what you're. That's what Max loves. That's, you know, Max. He's he's got a hard on for that boring shit. Mm-hmm. He does. Anyway, um, so he makes Chainmail. Chainmail is ostensibly a game meant to emulate the epic conflicts that you see in Tolkien, so like Battle of the Five Armies the Siege of Helm's Deep, the Siege of Minas Tirith, etc. And you have, like, you get to buy up your units, and so you have armies of elves versus orcs, and then dwarves, and, and then people start playing it. In fact, Dave Arneson, the other founder of Dungeons & Dragons, starts playing it too. Um, he loves it, and he loves it so much that he ends up going off and sort of doing his own thing where he sets up this castle called Castle Blackmore. And he sets up this game where the people who are his players play generals who are organizing this army that is laying siege to this castle, Castle Blackmore. And one of the players comes up with this idea that, hey, to get into the castle, let's tunnel into, let's go under the castle and like tunnel up and attack them from within. And so Dave Arneson sets up like, oh, there must be tunnels under the castle. They must have a dungeon. They go into the dungeon and they end up having so much fun 
just walking around the dungeon and like seeing what's there. And so they fuck off to the dungeon and never lay siege to the castle. They lose the game, Matt. They lost? Castle Blackmore, the forces of chaos win. Because this is like why we lost all like the Vietnam War. All the people were too busy playing games and shit, like get video gaming. Exactly. And so they just leave. Gary Gygax hears about this, and because he likes to collaborate, he sends in a message to David Arneson, because this is again before cell phones. So he writes a letter to Dave Arneson and Dave, and he says, Gary Gygax says, Hey, can I like see your game? I, I want to make it into a real game. Dave Arneson comes up to visit Gary and they play the game together called Castle Blackmore. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. We've got lightning in a bottle. Let's turn this into a game. And so they publish Dungeons and Dragons. And when they first publish it, Dungeons and Dragons is just an addition to Chainmail. So the idea is that you play the heroes that then go into the army and become like the commanders of the army. So you you have suddenly created a backstory for your wizard or your, they're called fighting men. Um, little sexist. It is a little sexist. In fact, that's kind of a, well, it's fascinating because they publish this game Dungeons and Dragons and suddenly women start playing. And everybody thinks this is the strangest thing and that, like, people commented about it. People wrote this in the reviews that, oh, it seems that Gary and Dave have created a game that even women will play. And it's weird. Yeah, yeah, get out, women. Fuck off, you know? <laughs> I want this shit to be for the, for the boys only. Well, people saw it as a positive thing, Matt, so maybe scale back the misogyny oh. just like a dad. <laughs> so positive back in the day. Well, uh, part of the history of D&D <clears throat> is the slow bigoted uh erasure of women from from uh gameplay until recently though i mean lots of women play now but there was like a really dark period when when uh i think women always played a lot but like lots of creepy guys have have always kind of tried to keep them on the margins you know i think you're i think you're 100 right um there are you know if you if you read the book playing at the world they have like some quotes from some like the old war gamers so we're talking like early 1900s talking about how like oh women are just too stupid to play these games which is obviously ridiculous galactic brain yeah (laughs) the kind only a man could have (laughs) so like no fucking wonder women don't want to play this game where men are just like assholes to them all the time and it's still a big problem i mean i think right now isn't there um there's like a lawsuit at not uh, at Blizzard. It's because, an Activision Blizzard because yeah. of all the perversions going on in those hallowed halls. Yeah, because men are dicks to women. They especially are, especially in the gaming industry. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that although there's a general issue, you know, I feel like this sort of uh, gamer culture is really heavily misogynistic in a lot of ways. So when you've got these people who are gaining like lots of money and power who also have either at best, like at best, no, no interaction with women, but in often cases just hate women, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. That like hate women and, or often think that women owe you something because you have a penis. 
Let me tell you something, okay? All you, all you fuckers out there listening to this shit. Nobody owes anybody anything. Except respect. Oh, and also maybe high tax rates for rich people. I don't know. Kill Jeff Bezos. Um, <laughs> I want him dead. Yeah. Yep. This is also a, a radical anti-capitalist podcast. It might be. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. We will get into political theory someday. I'm sure. So they make this game, Dungeons and Dragons. Lots of women start playing. And... And it explodes in popularity. The, con- the war game conventions are taken over by all these nerds playing Dungeons and Dragons because they think it's a, a war game. And all the war gamers are like, this isn't a fucking war game. The- you play like people in weird hats running around and like casting spells at each other. What losers? People have two main complaints about this game. They love That's the game, true. but they say this- the rules are incomprehensible. You cannot play this game unless someone who knows how to play it teaches you. You can't play this game unless you have a photographic memory or something like that. No, because the rules, you can't even parse out what you're supposed to do from the rules. The rules are impossible to understand. This is the complaint. And then the second complaint is it's really expensive. So a ton of other people go and decide, hey, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to make a game called Tunnels and Trolls is one of the most popular kind of anti-D&D things. And they put in their marketing material, Matt, this game is like Dungeons and Dragons, except it's better and cheaper. So buy it. And, well, let me tell you, no one plays Tunnels and Trolls anymore. Is that um, true? I've never heard of this before. Does it, is there still like a published version of Tunnels and Trolls? Holy shit, there's a 2015 deluxe edition? Are you, are you kidding and there's a 2012 French-only edition. Well, I you guess we're... still playing Tunnels and Trolls to this day. Well, that's a mistake because it was a... Um... They have an official website. Oh, but 404 page not found. I don't know. Mm, doesn't sound very it official like... to me. Let me just say, the website looks like shit, so nobody's playing this anymore. Yeah, it, um, it was pretty shitty, um, and not that many people liked it. Also, it was really racist i'm just gonna lay it out there they if you want to read the book you can read about all the spell names that are very openly making fun of black people and it's really fucked up i want to we should do a whole episode about racism here because like there are subtle ways that D has racially problematic elements although it's not in the form of like explicitly racist spell names yes yes it's better than tunnels and trolls the original but it's still not great damn you could buy tunnels and trolls right now on amazon for fucking 10 bucks are we really plugging this i don't think we should plug this everybody out there go buy this (laughs) um i'm i imagine that they have removed some of the problematic elements i would hope this is, of course, not to say that uh, Dungeons & Dragons has a does not have a checkered past. In fact, I don't know if you've been following the news lately, Matt, but last month, Gary Gygax's son, Ernie Gygax, he, he made some comments about how Dungeons & Dragons, or how he wants to keep fantasy role-playing games as a safe space for people who don't like trans people. He wants to keep it pure... Yeah, 
that was the, um, I think a specific comment was, um, I want to keep this as a space for people that don't really like gender identities. He wants to keep it, keep it safe for the turfs out there. Yeah, basically. Well, the turfs and the um, trans-exclusionary radical chauvinists, I guess. The, the I don't know. The ones, the ones who don't even pretend to like women at all. Not cool, Ernie. What the hell? Yes. So we are taking a stand and we're saying that that's, that's messed up. Dungeons and Dialectics says trans rights. In fact, trans people have been a, a really big part of gaming history. One of the most famous dungeon designers in, in like Dungeons and Dragons, I think from like second edition and maybe a little bit into third edition was Janelle Jaquez. I might be pronouncing that wrong. But like Janelle people, Jaquez? yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, but like people who have been forcing themselves into the space that has been in some ways like openly hostile in like kind of a gross way, and so hopefully we're seeing some changes with that. Ernie Gygax has been canceled. His company is probably going to be run into the ground, and we're seeing some moves at Wizards of the Coast to at least address some of the racial, um, the issues with race that they've they've been dealing with. Ernie, if you're listening, come send me an email. We want to we want to interview you. We do. You. Yeah. I'll oh, okay. Tell him how what a shithead he is. I'm not gonna like say Ernie, you're so great. All right. Wonderful. All right. So they interview bad people in the news, motherfucker. That's true. You know? They do. That's true. Um, but we could also interview like some great people. True. I want it to be where someone's getting interviewed. They don't know before they get on whether or not we like them. Mm, that's good. Well, I think we could play. We could always play like a good cop, bad cop. As if there are good cops, am I right? Yeah, a, a cab. A cab. Getting too political too fast. <laughs> Matt, we're just, we're just good. I mean, on the one hand, we have to take a stand because we have a platform now. Yeah, we do. Two but episodes. also, two <laughs> listeners, two episodes. I think we're going to, we're really quickly alienating as many people as we possibly can. If you agree with Ernie Guy Guys, get the fuck out. I don't want you listening to my shit. Oh, well, I was talking more about the all cops are bastards thing. Look, um, okay. If you're a cop and you're not a bastard, I want to I interview you. Get on, <laughs> get on the pod. This is how we're getting all our, all our guests. <laughs> we're just going to... Uh, we're going to... ethically degenerate, send me an email. I want to interview you. <laughs> Great. So we've, uh, we've set out some calls for interviews. So you get tunnels and trolls. All these other variants that are saying, hey, if you like Dungeons and Dragons, but hate Dungeons and Dragons, you should play our game. And then Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson and, uh, and Donna Kay, who run TSR Hobbies, that's the, or TSR, that's the Tactical Studies Rules. It's the company that publishes Dungeons and Dragons originally. They say, stop using our name in your marketing. Like, we're doing all our marketing for ourselves and you're just copying us. And like, fuck off. So they sue all these people or they send cease and desists out. And everyone says, well, if I can't say it's like Dungeons and Dragons, what am I going to call this game? And that is when they decide, well, let's call it role playing. And that's the birth of the term role playing game, which this is the not... big term that everybody hates. This is the big term. Wait, what's the term? Role playing game. Nobody hates it. What the hell? You said everybody hates it. No, I didn't. Did I? I thought you said there's like a term that everybody hates. 
There are lots of terms that people hate, but... Oh, my God. Oh, okay, well, the like... thing that... I don't know. Who knows what I was saying? You can't even check that. I'll just edit it out and post, and oh. you'll look like a dumbass. <laughs> and then you have the you have the game sort of evolving over, over several years. The second edition of the game, uh, often called... You get split into advanced, dun- advanced Dungeons & Dragons and Basic Dungeons & Dragons. And really, it was just a reprint of the first edition rules, but in a format that you could actually understand and play. And then they just started publishing content because their their publisher would pay them to like for every book that they printed. Except at the end, they would sell back whatever they weren't able to sell to consumers. And Gary Gygax, who's a terrible businessman, He's like, well, let's publish a fuckload of stuff and then we'll sell it. So they get this huge influx of cash because their publisher buys it. But then when they can't sell the like hundreds of books and like pages of content that they've made, they need to buy it back. And they're tanking their business when Wizards of the Coast, owned by Hasbro, steps in and says, hey, this is a pretty popular game. Let's buy it from you. And then they launched the third edition in 2000, huge overhaul of the game. And this is a huge Wait, so, so, like boom in popularity. So how many years were people playing second edition AD&D slash basic Dungeons & Dragons? That was launched in the 80s. So if you watch Stranger Things, that's yeah, what they're yeah. playing, is probably advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So in the 80s, the Demogorgon <clears throat> was not like a two-headed ape thing. It is, it is. What's the creature rating of the demo demogorgon like what cr level is it it's a uh, challenge rating so oh my god way to make the audience think that we're fucking noobs well i don't know shit that's true we did establish that in the first episode which everyone is listening to mm-hmm. um so good job did we established did i say creature rating oh fuck it's what's a challenge the, uh, rating what's the creature challenge oh my goodness I think you should just say it every time, differently every time, and it'll become a I'm going to say the creature rating for the rest of the podcast. Great. So the creature rating of the Demogorgon, um, <clears throat> I don't know what, know what it is in 5th edition right now, but in 3.5, you got its stats in Fiendish Codex 2, Hordes of the Abyss, which is a fantastic Jesus. book. And I think it's 23. Oh, wow. Anyway, 3rd edition, huge overhaul of the system. But the third edition sucks ass and is super unbalanced. So like three years later, they publish 3.5 edition, which the is best silly. best edition ever made. It is the best edition of Dungeons & Dragons ever made. By Fuck fifth way. edition. There, it's out there. So third edition becomes 3.5 when they're like, wait, wait, wait. We were just kidding about all that 3.0 shit. This is the real edition. 3.5 published tons of content and it's clear they don't really know where the system is going they're just like and they're publishing like a book a month there are like you have no idea there's so many books i have like 70 of them holy shit and there are more i have like three of them because they're expensive as balls dude but anyway they publish like a book a month and each one like changes the game slightly and it's all over the place um and the game becomes so unwieldy. And if you've played 3.5, you already know it's kind of a lot already. I mean, you have to read a page of rules just to know how to grapple somebody. Um, 
So they get this feedback, and Wizards of the Coast says, fine, we're going to make it streamlined. Here's 4th edition. And people were pissed. Everyone hated this edition. They said it sucked. It did streamline everything. It made everything more balanced. But it was terrible. And so they I've scrapped it. I've never played 4th edition, so I couldn't... Uh... You know, neither have I, but that does not wow. stop me from having really strong opinions about it. I would be interested in trying it at some point just to find out if it's as bad as they say. So, the early reviews, I spent a little bit of time earlier this week kind of reading reviews about it. And when it came out, people were really kind of disappointed. And I think a lot of the fan reaction, and I own this like as a fan at the time when it came out, a lot of the fan reaction I think was motivated by like, oh, I'm enjoying this game, and why are you telling me to buy more books um, that I don't like I, when I'm enjoying what, what's already here? Especially because not only did they, um, did they change up all the rules without really consulting the fans, there wasn't a lot of like fan playtesting, um, but they also published three different players' handbooks, each of which had a third of the game in it. So, like, the first one that they published didn't even have all the classes, or, like, all the base classes. They didn't have monks. They didn't have bards. They didn't have barbarians in the first player's handbook. And it became very apparent to the fans that, oh, this is a shameless cash grab. They know that if they withhold this content that we know is coming, we're just going to, like, buy up the... Um, the books when they come. It backfired because it pissed everyone off. They started doing more intensive like fan play testing and involving the fans for designing 5th edition. And that's the edition that most people play today. Yeah, let all the normies in. Yeah. Fucking get out. Well, they did a really good job of making the game streamlined while also preserving some of that kind of like fun, fantastical allure. What I think they did, so in third edition in 3.5, you had feats that you would pick at every third level. And those feats became really important and sort of defined your character. Feats are an option to rule in fifth edition now that give you like little bonuses, but people would have these whole builds around like fighters that could stun you because they had a certain like combination of feats or monks that had like all these different attacks that they could do where one would stun or one would like stagger you or like all these different debilitating effects they could put on you and that they were determined by your feats and then later they came up with these what are called alternate class features where you could swap out abilities that your class gave you for other abilities so you get these like hugely customizable um, options and what they said in fifth edition essentially was you don't get the same number of options anymore. We are going to distill the best of each kind of like build into a subclass and you pick your subclass and the kit is ready-made, go play. So it makes it a lot faster and you still achieve the same sort of um, kind of builds that a lot of people are going for at the expense of flexibility. I mean, yeah, so I think that overall that might be better for 
not only new players, but just if you want to play without being extremely fine-grained yeah. with, with the game. I will say both the benefit and the drawback, though, of that fine-grained 3.5 system is that level of customization you get, mm -hmm. you know. I don't like to min-max. I think we talked a little bit about min-maxing last yeah. week. But I do enjoy, irrespective of how it's going to actually function on the field, I love making characters with all sorts of weird feats and weird classes. Yeah. And weird shit, and you can really only do that in 3.5. Yeah, exactly. Um, 5e, I think what they, what they thought was, oh, people are, people are picking the optimized route anyway. So let's just give them, let's not give them the option to pick something bad, even though in their design, I think they've de designed some subclasses as being worse than others. Um, I think there's that... less of a, in 3.5, the system was designed so that people who played the game longer would make better choices. And it was very intentionally designed in that way. So you have huge power disparities because the game is intentionally set up that way. I like making bad characters. A lot of people do. I think that that was kind of a mistake that Wizards made. Wizards of the Coast. Especially with 4th edition 2, you basically have equivalent powers no matter what character you are. And I think that it loses some charm if you can't make a really useless character. That's kind of fun. Yeah, well, so I think I might have told this story last week because nobody's going to listen to the first episode ever. And perhaps not even this episode, depending on how the audio comes out. I'll tell you then. We did that thing where you were DM the one shot. Yeah. And we all picked three books at random and then made <laughs> characters on the basis of that. Yeah. And my character was probably the worst character ever made. I don't even think I could deal damage. <laughs> like, I did, like, one damage. Did one non-lethal was... damage with your whip. Yeah, I had a whip. I had two heads. <laughs> I think I spent all of my, like cachet that i could use to build the character to make him have two heads worth it yeah it was worth it i'll just share for the listeners at home playing with matt is an experience and when i say that i mean it in the worst way possible yeah. because you'll have like an idea of what you want um and all the other players will have an idea of like the story that they want to tell and matt will make it all about himself and his fucking lame side quest or yeah. This particular two-headed character just wanted like someone to spank them. Yeah, was that, was that what it was? That his backstory? He wanted to be spanked, <laughs> or like the opposite? He was like a dominatrix, and he was like he wore like a gimp mask and a bunch of leather. On both his heads. Yeah. And he whips people. Well, we were supposed to have in uh, Max's campaign. We were supposed to have this big encounter with a dragon, and it was like a four-hour fight. You know, one of those things. But by finagling around, I was able to get, because I'd been split off from the party by some other thing that happened to me, I was able to get to the city they were going to like a day ahead of everyone. And mechanically, this played out where they had done all the stuff they could do. So they were just going to arrive, right? You know, whenever it would be their turn again. But because I was a day ahead of them, hypothetically speaking, I had to do everything I wanted to do for that day before they could get there. So I spent like three hours trying to seduce some like random old woman who didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> Why? Why? I thought she had some good information. I thought I might be able to get some information out of her. I see. I see. Um, I'm I shocked that, that didn't fact, work out. In fact, no, she 
She didn't have any information. And it didn't work out. She wouldn't have sex with me. I can understand why, why that might be. Well, my character was horribly disfigured at the time and was missing an arm, so that might have played a role. But I mean, there's also the charisma to, to think about. Yeah, my guy's zero charisma bonus. Yeah, well, that's average. You know, it's not terrible. Mm, maybe it should be lower. I mean, it's a lot better than you in real life. So yeah. I would say that's a net positive. All right. So it really is role-playing. It is role-playing. We've been talking for a really long time. Yeah, we're probably done, right? I think we've made enough content. This has been Matt and Joe. Yeah. Send me money. Send me money. Is that our catchphrase? Send me money. That's what we decided last episode. Send me money. I think we need a better one. Okay. Um, send me money, please. Mm, there we go. Polite. I like it. This has been Matt and Joe. Send me money, please. Good night. I think that was cute. Good night. That's amazing.